Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by Mae Finch. Hello, hello. And Will Rotondi. What is the good word, sir? What is going on? The good word is um, opulent. I don't know. I'm just making up a word. <laughs> it's it's Barbenheimer, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, it is Barbenheimer. There we go. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about The Graduate. Specifically, the topic is uh, the Mrs. Robinson scene. But as we're wont to do, we're going to kind of leap around all over the place. More on that to come. But first, uh, I speaking of Barbenheimer... I wanted to go on a little bit of a rant and uh, get your opinion on Hollywood yet again, taking the absolute wrong lessons. So the article that's really set me off and I was just going like, you got to be kidding me is um, the intent to have a similar sort of double pairing of the new Saw film and Paw Patrol. It's being billed as Saw Patrol. And like the studios are just hell bent on making this like happen again, capturing lightning in a bottle. And it just, I threw up my hands like reading this going like, you missed the entire point of why Barbenheimer was even a thing. So I I wanted to kind of talk through this with you guys and and see like, A, how you feel about uh, Hollywood making this happen artificially and um, pairing up unlikely releases like seeking out the release date for a movie that is sort of like counter to to whatever their uh individual releases and then just kind of get into it all because <laughs> man just it made me depressed especially in light of like all the stuff going on right now with like the producer and actor strikes a lot of which sort of the crux is um studios are not really interested in treating creative people well or like celebrating originality but they want like a sure thing based on algorithms or whatever so discuss oh god um obviously it misses the point of barbenheimer and also the fact that i think that was like a fan created thing right not Mm. something the studios ever pushed as branding until they kind of caught on to like the fan phenomenon um but also like barbenheimer works because there's a fair amount of overlap between who's interested in seeing oppenheimer like a christopher nolan film and who's interested in seeing an existential barbie film by greta gerwig like slightly different target audiences but a good amount of overlap whereas with something like saw and paw patrol i don't (laughs) i don't see those overlap correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) i haven't seen any saw films past the second one out of i think like nine of them or something crazy at this point so i can't speak with certainty but yes i would say the demographic for paw patrol is probably very young viewers and unless you're a shitty parent you're probably not like taking them over to see the new saw film um although i suppose there could be a reverse overlap of people that are going to see saw that want to like cleanse their brain but um or is the idea that you leave your kid in the paw patrol viewing and then walk over to the saw Showing. That's what you I do. Don't. I don't. <laughs> um. Well, I'll, I'll get your thoughts, and then I got plenty to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to your thoughts about it because this is the first I've heard of it. Um, and 
truth be told, you probably won't like me, but I think that's actually kind of amazing. <laughs> and I just say that because it's like the pairing of like the two most completely opposite movies you could think of, you know, where it's like basically gore porn on one hand and like like wholesome children's cartoon on the other. <laughs> it's just like there's so much there's no way you could get farther apart. Um I don't know. Maybe it's like a reaction to the fact that for a long time, Hollywood liked to like pair up the two movies that were going to be the closest in storyline, like summer blockbusters, where it was like Dante's Peak and Volcano or Armageddon and Deep Impact. So, you know, like when I guess that's like disaster movies as an example, but I feel like there's just like a history of always wanting to tag team it to see which one's going to outperform the other one based on like a similar plot. So maybe this is just like they're trying something different and they're like, we're just going to make it weird. We'll just make it freaky and see if people gravitate to that. And I don't really know one way or the other. I would say that's just you know, like the surface level reaction to that that has nothing to do with thinking more in depth about like the other like very serious business side issues between actors and produce or I guess production companies. Um but yeah, I don't know. Part of it is just like, why not? Let's just roll the dice and see what chaos we get out of it. But another part of me is like, yeah, that's not really. <laughs> I don't think you're going to make it happen. I think it needs to be a little bit more um, natural and not forced. But I don't know. Tell us more about your thoughts, though, about why this gives you such angst. <laughs> I, it's just it's very strong irritation is what it is like i, I yeah. think what bothers me is that they're co-opting it mm -hmm. to try to drive box office like receipts yeah. and yeah. i think where they really missed the point because i was like I, yeah i was like all right why am i annoyed so i did some like self-reflection on like why am i annoyed why do i think barbenheimer worked and i think like uh, you guys can definitely disagree um because i like i would love to to kind of talk through this but to me like the reason barbenheimer has been so successful is like Yes, they are blockbuster films by well-known established directors, but I think people flock to the cinemas because they're original works mm -hmm. that have yep. something Absolutely. to say, right? And like, I, I haven't seen the Paw Patrol film. I've no, I don't know anything about Paw Patrol, but like, even Barbie, like I would argue, like ha is just as serious and has just as powerful of a message maybe more so than even like Oppenheimer does even if there is that like kind of sh silly colorful shell around it and I think like audiences are like thirsty for something I mean that in a non-sexual way although maybe I don't know um for like for original like content that has like something to say and, and you know is interesting and I think the kind of poor reactions and performance like not to jump on the marvel train again like people are burned out on that shit and i think they're ready to go back to to something substantial i think it's why john wick is is successful mm. as a franchise like <laughs> people like the the franchise but like it's a it's an original thing that like stands out amongst like many many action films so i think they're not taking that lesson and going like oh like people are coming back to the cinema in droves because there's interesting things to see um we and the reason I I thought this was a great topic for today is like the film that we're about to talk about was one of two that came out in the year. The other, which is Bonnie and Clyde, which we've talked about already, that were sort of big swings from like studios that like resulted in like a decade plus of like really original films being made by interesting people. 
um, instead of sort of beating like the musical like uh, genre to death, which is sort of what, you know, um, was like the end of like the old Hollywood. So, yeah, that's that's sort of my take on it is like, I just I don't think that they're like, I think what I was really bothered by is like, you're not pairing like uh some weird like NDA 24 like horror film or something that looks like it might be unique it is literally like the deadest of dead horses like with like the saw franchise right that is just like what's left like it's a milk out of that i don't know i can't possibly imagine like what could still be around and it's not like that series has really had a hiatus either like like scream came back with a vengeance like and has done very well with the last two iterations but there was sort of a period of like reflection and peace and no more screen films for a while so anyway that's my take on it how uh do you guys agree or disagree on why barbenheimer is like been successful and people have showed up to it i'm sure there's the meme factor but yeah the the originality i think is a great point um yeah. recognizable directors but original content and ideas yeah but there's still a bit of nostalgia there too i will say like with barbie especially right yeah. like I think very much is an IP. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's a mix of nostalgia with a new medium and message. And I think that's generally pretty powerful. Yeah, it's subversion, right? Like I was so like, Barbie, like they're making a Barbie movie. And then oh. it was like Greta Gerwig, and I was like, okay, like I'm interested. And then yeah. the marketing was like, uh, if nothing else, like stylistically, we're going to get something interesting. Sorry, well, you were saying something. No, I mean, I'm glad that you made that point because I think it's the directors too. Like, I think that's a large draw is that we have established history for the two directors that these films are done by. And so that also, I think, was a heavy contribution. But I mean, you know, the, the, the cast. So the directors, the cast, and... I, I agree with the originality too, but I think that all of that sort of together kind of culminated in like this big like showdown between like two, you know, arguably going to be epic movies, whether or not, I mean, the marketing hands down obviously was there as well. Um, Cause they like marketed the crap out of Barbie, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think that's, I think it's all good points. I'd agree with you. And I also think that Saw has definitely run its course. Like I gave it a little bit more time. Like I, I hung in there for about maybe five or six of them. And then I just thought I am saturated <sighs> way too much. Like it just got sick. Like, I mean, it was sick to begin with, but it just got like, it's just watching people get mutilated. And I'm like, I don't know what weird twisted enjoyment I was getting out of this before, but it's done. <laughs> so yeah, and I can't. And I'm not judging. Like, if you like Saw, right? Like, if anybody mm -hmm. that's, I'm, if you listen to this podcast, and yep. if you're like, I just like unplugging my brain and watching, like, you know, but like, hey, good for yep. you. It's fine. I'm just saying, like, in terms of like, I, I think we could all agree that it, it's a long shot to think that Saw is going to suddenly like clean up and make like three quarters of a billion dollars at the box office. Yeah, right? or like, like another twist point. that's going to be worth it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think I was primed for this too because like I read some you know quotes from um, I only watched the first season of The Witcher and then I just I couldn't after that um, where like they were defending sort of like the the total abandonment of like the politics and all the interesting stuff in the books that like make that an amazing IP translated well to the games and they were like well it's the TikTok culture like people just want like kind of a monster of the week and like they don't have the attention span or like the 
the desire like to to have something that's like complicated and interesting and like like game of thrones didn't exist in i was gonna say like, like hold up a minute yeah hold <laughs> up a minute again yeah. like uh, yeah. it re- it reminded me of like um when like the less grossman i think or Le- is it love grossman less grossman the tom cruise character from tropic thunder like looks at matthew mcconaughey and he's like seriously a nutless monkey could do your job like <laughs> like I-, I know it's meant to be kind of like you know, just him being him, like that character. But uh, I kind of wonder, you know, like with some of the decisions lately that have been made, like I just I, the algorithm driven sort of stuff. It's driving me nuts. I think A24 is the only studio that seems to be doing it right. They don't have all hits like they have some, you know, mediocre films or some like occasional misses. But I love that they take chances constantly and like let people make like interesting things. Like even if we do sometimes joke about like, what the a24 film like that thing that you sent us in our <laughs> private chat it was great of like uh, it was like a guy kind of pitching an a24 film and um it was nice. it's very funny maybe i'll post a little link here but anyway the... rant's over <laughs> unless you guys oh, have anything else to add uh yeah no actually i'm glad you did that um just thinking about how i agree i think it's weird that it's like especially with the culture that we have now where it's so and i say easy relatively easy to make movies like you see all this stuff that just goes straight to streaming so i'm like there's plenty of like absolute garbage that ends up on streaming that you couldn't bother to just take a chance on somebody's like you know different like just let the director do what they want to do or just let the team do what they want to do and not try to like steer the ship as a as the producer and think that it's going to be okay like i just you know that was supposed to expensive it. garbage too it's not like cheap yeah. like some of these movies have like ridiculous budgets yeah. and it's just because like you'll get a hemsworth in there like again not knocking like i love chris hemsworth funny dude but like you can attach a star like that like throw a ton of money and like they just want you to like have a you know they're driving subscribers versus like trying yep. to make art um mm-hmm. the only reason they even have somebody like a scorsese right or um coron like make a movie like roma for netflix is like either for awards prestige or like so they have like they can check that box right like we have like a here's a you know um notable director um i think apple tv is a little bit different in that regard but i hope they don't kind of fall to that um prey to that model because it's i think it sucks all right well, thank you both for sharing and letting me rant. But like, I just I saw that Anytime. I had a meltdown like midweek. I was like, oh my god. Um, let's draw a quick side quest. We got a new one on our last episode. Uh, May missed adaptation station was our first group. Ah, so group therapy is the <laughs> the name of the which is very just. funny. Yeah, so I will. Rem- I actually we didn't go through the new side quest, so this will be new for uh, our listeners as well. So this prompt is talk about a film that you think is better experienced together rather than alone. I feel like this is Will's category, but if he doesn't have one, I do have one. I want to hear what you what your idea is because I feel like I should have one ready, but I don't. But go for it. Okay, okay. so for me, uh, and it's less, I guess it's less the therapy angle than just like it's way more fun in a group uh rocky horror picture show like yeah. that oh, yeah. that film is an experience it was a rite of passage being shown this film uh at like my roommate's <laughs> party um probably part of my like bisexual awakening as well uh <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone in that i am sure <laughs> 
um and yeah just because like there's all these like audience bits and like people know different pieces of like the history of the movie and how it got to kind of it's like cult standing and it's just it's way more fun to watch in a group and be able to kind of like talk over it or sing along even I love singing along with it and um, I know for me it's like a nice little Halloween ritual to do some kind of a screening for it have you guys seen the film many times I'm, I'm sure everyone has seen it once at least I know for a fact Wilson at least once and if he says otherwise he's a dirty liar because he was yep. in the same class as me in college yep. where we watched it uh, <laughs> right. for sex and cinema um, but yeah I, I've seen it in audience settings as well with the full participation in Charleston they used to do it the first midnight of every month they had like a group that would do it and the first time I went I went through the whole thing down to the undies um, the little V on the forehead like the whole thing like it's great I actually haven't seen like the live stage performance yet. I've only done like oh, home screenings. So I, I I've yet to have that experience. If you're ever in a big city that like does it, like especially where like like legitimately like they do it right, um, go. Like it's so much fun. Like I like you gotta bring a little kit with you, to, you know, like the water gun if you're in the back or newspaper if you're in the front. So you know, you can put it <laughs> over your head and some rice to throw like but it is a ton a ton of fun <laughs> what about you well i have never participated in the group event um i've only ever watched the film maybe once or twice oh, well not maybe once definitely once maybe twice <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's on the bucket list to do eventually so i'll have to get the v what because it's like you get a v when you're the virgin that you go the first time is that right yeah mm -hmm. so yeah yep i don't know if they'll like uh in 2023 if they'll still like make you strip down to your underwears i'm sure that's very optional regardless like if they do <laughs> but um chris just yeah, did this unprompted just to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone's like what is this guy doing <laughs> um yeah like i remember like we had a ball in our like so we watched it in lab for that sex and cinema class and i remember like the reaction being pretty like amazing to it because there was a lot of like you know we were in the bible belt in the south right so needless to say like um the diversity in the group was low you know like in terms of the people that were watching it and i think everyone had a lot of fun um <clears throat> especially because like the article that we read ahead of it was about um the fetish fetishization of um the male body like mm -hmm. and specifically kind of turning that like on its head from the perspective of like the tim curry character <laughs> which was uh yeah interesting stuff you remember like I, I i feel like everyone reacted very well to that we watched some fucked up shit in that class so like people yeah. never really knew how like how it was gonna go <laughs> and that was one of the lighter like viewing uh sessions i think that we had yeah that's from what you've told me it feels like this is probably the tamest film you guys watched <laughs> oh, probably that's that's arguable yeah 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 i remember what was it it was flavia the heretic that made me cringe that one and i think whatever the japanese horror one was with the oh. little like audition well, wasn't eye. too bad <laughs> it was the yeah. needles in the eye part that was kind of weird for, um, for me it was matress because like a there's like a, a scene of a very real like horse slaughter like at a yeah. like a like a slaughterhouse in france i was not down with nor prepared for at all like it was very 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 graphic and then there's also a scene where a guy gets his um, penis skin like nailed to a board. Like, 
he wants to it's consensual it's like a snm thing and uh it is non-simulated that is not a prosthetic uh, penis it is a real penis and she's taking the skin peeling it and nailing it to a board and like i was like oh boy okay <laughs> so yeah. i really hope that guy gets like good residuals still like <laughs> I think he is into it, honestly. Like, I thought that was great acting. I think they yeah. just found people as a French film, but um, yeah, it was all about BDSM and interesting stuff there. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, you uh, digress. But yeah, Rocky Horror. Um, I, I think... <laughs> this is turn back a little bit. Yeah. I think, especially for your first viewing, it has to be in a group. Because it's also like it is a very strange film. It doesn't follow like your typical beat of a movie. Like you will get it better if you're in a room with other people that have seen it many times. I just love to sing along to like half of those songs too, right? Like doing the time warp. I feel like even if uh, you've never seen that film, by the time because it, it's tailored to like teach you the moves, like it's easy to to do the time warp by the time the song is like halfway through. Mm-hmm. I always sing along to the Brad and Janet part. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, Janet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn it, Janet. So, so great. <laughs> well, thanks for for sharing. That's a great pick for for a, a group setting movie. I think arguably maybe like the best pick. Like it'd be pretty hard to top <laughs> that for like, an, you know, getting people together um, and everyone giving like a enthusiastic thumbs up. It wasn't a controversial one. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. All right. Well, today's episode is all about The Graduate, which, as I said at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about the Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me like sequence. But I also have a couple of other prompts around uh, other things that, you know, um, I am interested to kind of hear your guys thoughts on. I, uh, of course, will give a quick plot summary because I'm bad at that. And I'm going to remember, God damn it, to do <laughs> in the future. So uh, here we go. The Graduate's a 1967 film directed by Mike Nichols and written by Buck Henry and Calder Willingham based on a novel by Charles Webb. And it stars Dustin Hoffman and Bancroft, Catherine Ross with uh, co-stars of Murray Hamilton and (laughs) a very, very young Richard Dreyfuss. I thought that was funny. Like, I always forget that he's like just hanging around in the background in the boys house. It is the film that uh, chronicles the, I guess, post-graduation depression, anxiety of Benjamin Braddock, who is played by Hoffman, as he attempts to navigate and figure out what life has in store for him. He begins an affair with a married woman, Mrs. Robinson, uh, all the while sort of floating uh, metaphorically and literally um, listlessly through life. And eventually um, is forced out onto a date with her daughter, um, played by Catherine Ross. Uh, daughter's name is Elaine. And uh, basically leads to a confrontation between him and Mrs. Robinson, where he is forced to admit uh, having an affair with um, Mrs. Robinson to her daughter, Elaine. Elaine uh, shrieks very loudly, not for the last time in that film, and sends Benjamin away, who then. Uh, becomes uh, mildly put obsessed with trying to regain the affections of Elaine following her back to UFC Berkeley. And then uh, eventually 
I guess, having a discussion about the affairs, accused of rape at one point, has a confrontation with Mrs. Robinson's uh, husband, Mr. Robinson, who reveals that they are getting a divorce as a result of the affair. Uh, the film ends with Benjamin learning that Elaine is to marry uh, Carl, I believe is his name, at a wedding ceremony, races to uh, intercept or interrupt the wedding, fails to do so, but bangs on the glass, shouts Elaine, and they run off, uh, locking the churchgoers in the church, get on a bus, and roll credits, essentially. So... Sorry, I know that was a little disjointed. It's a, kind of a, a harder film to recap than I was thinking. I was like, all right, I don't want to miss any major points, but um, we'll start with general impressions. What did you guys think of The Graduate? I'll start with May. It's your vertically. And that's um, I love how it was shot. I see why it won an Oscar. Um, I'm, I'm a sucker for those like slow moving, kind of like very wide shots where they're just really kind of like letting each scene simmer um so i love the cinematography um equal parts like funny and just so fucking bleak to me (laughs) so like i felt very weird when i finished the film i think will felt similarly based on our chat but i'm curious what his impressions were (laughs) I uh, did not realize that Mrs. Robinson was such a sexual predator. I uh, I thought yeah. it was a little bit more like consensual than it seemed like it started out as. So that was like a shocker for me. I uh, But this was because, and I don't know how I have avoided any sort of education about this film at all, like throughout my college career and up till now. But yeah, it was just like one of those films that was like on the list to go see. And I'm glad that we had the opportunity to watch it. Um May I agree with you? I love the cine- uh, the cinematography, but yeah, there's just like no really likable characters. So for me, for like the entertainment, if I'm detaching my brain from like judging it on its cinematic value, just as like entertainment, I probably wouldn't watch it again. I was just like, this is, and I, but I say that because I also feel like this film exists at an interesting point in time. And based on what I was reading, like reactions to it were much different back when it first came out, where I guess it made more sense to market it as a comedy because I didn't really find it, except for like a few little moments here and there, I didn't really find it that funny. I found it mostly just bleak, like you mentioned. I found it um, that I guess it is more a reflection of just cultural views at that time. It was funnier because of that at that time. And the only other part that I could think of is that it has probably spawned several of the movies that I did watch when I was a, like a teenager or young adult, where it was like, you know, we're we're taking the idea of an older lady interested in a younger man and we're making that into like part of the comedy. So whether we're talking about like Wedding Crashers or we're talking about that whole song, what was it Stacy's Mom, you know, back in whatever, <laughs> whenever that came out, like that became like a joke. And I'm sure in no small part to Mrs. Robinson. So I guess I kind of get it. But it, and there are things that I like about the film. But I think overall, I was like, this was an interesting experience to have. And this was not what I expected. So and not necessarily in a bad way, but just, you know, it was not what I expected. So. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's surprising. I think the first time you watch it, if if you're not really like primed because <clears throat> You think of like like a Stifler's mom, right? Like type from American Pie. 
Yeah. That's what this is going to be, right? Like there's going to be like comedic fodder. I think this is a really funny movie and in a lot of moments. Um, but I think bleak is a great adjective to to describe it. And it's um it's one of those it's one of my favorites. Um, and it's one of those films that like I saw in high school, running from the library, and it just cemented my desire to like want to study film and learn more about film and just did not know that stuff like this existed as early as like the sixties. And I wanted to kind of see like where like good cinema, you know, from, from my perspective and and what like 10th grade, like came from. Right. And so it kind of led me to things like midnight cowboy, also a very bleak film and um, you know, other contemporaries as I've talked about many times, like loving new Hollywood. Um, One of my favorite exercises, like in like watching film, like this film, probably every 10 years is like trying to sort of like see how I feel about the characters. You mentioned that Um, my thoughts and and feelings have changed drastically over the years. Like I I really I had such a um, more of like a menacing vibe from Benjamin Braddock, like like watching it like this time around, because it's probably been seven or eight years since I've seen this like last and I was just thinking, uh, speaking of uh, Barbie, not to spoil anything too much, like he, there's a few lessons from that film that he probably could have like taken, you know, um, but something that I didn't pick up on, like, I'll just we can get to this like in earnest later is like, I never picked up on the subtext that Elaine might be pregnant, like in like mm-hmm. that, like, I don't know why, like, I never like considered it because there's like, I the, heard the like the line, but like, it's uh, with the, the in the frat house, but um just a great example where I was like, oh, whoa, like that. Um, I never taken that like as like a serious like uh, what's the word like supposition from the frat brothers that that maybe that's why she was getting married. And then that kind of changes how I feel about the end. Right. In a lot of ways. Yeah, um, but yeah I love it. I think it, uh, it it is kind of hard to stomach. And um, I think what what I really like about it, I prefer the first half of the film is like how it captures that. Like, um, I don't know if you guys went through this, but I had just like a miserable. It didn't happen to me like after graduation, but it was like going into my senior year where it wasn't senioritis where I was like, I just want to like get done with it. It was more like I was like bored, like laying around like all those scenes where he's like laying in the pool and just like not doing anything and just seems utterly like just devoid of any sort of purpose. I had an entire summer like that. And it's such a strange feeling. And it's it's such a young person thing. I feel like in a lot of ways to like feel um, sort of panicked about like your, your future and your purpose. So, Um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it or at least found it interesting. Um, I do agree. The cinematography is great. Um, Since we are talking specifically today about the Mrs. Robinson sequence, I did want to, cover that first and then i have a kind of a couple of extra bonus topics like depending on like how we do for for time so uh let's dive right in with the mrs robinson sequence um the first thing i want you guys to do is uh on a scale of like one to ten rate the seduction factor <laughs> one out of ten hearts too i might put them in the edit here <laughs> Clarifying so, question. On yeah, that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, go ahead. Like seduction <clears throat> factor. If we were in Ben's position, or just like the scene as this plays out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, good. I'll let good you qualify it. Question. I'll let you qualify it however you like. 
Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I think it's probably more interesting to talk about it like objectively. But if you want to do it from Ben's point of view, you can definitely. If you were just a college graduate and you were, if you were Ben at his age, would you hook up with Mrs. Robinson? Is that what we're? I can that's answer, what we're asking. I can answer that question because I, I was definitively in that spot. Oh, not to tell on myself, like what? <laughs> not with somebody that was married. Not somebody what? married. But Yo. I did have. I did have like a uh my first summer out out of college like somebody that was like substantially older than me or oh, now we have to ask about this at yeah. some point you have to tell us it doesn't have to be on this podcast maybe off my we have to yeah. know it's you can't just like throw that out there and be like yeah i banged an yeah. older chick you know, was, right out of college but like come on yeah no it was not it wasn't anything like that fair like there was no family that i was not a home wrecker but yeah um yeah, that doesn't. You don't have to qualify that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making sure that we're clear here. We did not end any marriages. Or like, I am not like... going to jail. I did not do anything wrong. <laughs> nope. Um. So yeah, like I mean, however you want to qualify, like really, like you can. I'd, I'd be interested to hear like what you have to say from both, honestly, if you want to talk about that. I would say that I can understand Ben's fear about what or not. Well, I guess it is fear. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his life. So I get that part. I don't think that if I was him, I would have stuck around. If I realized what was going on, I probably would have bolted for the door. Um, so if we're writing it on how I would respond as Ben in that moment, I would have just said, I'm out. Like as soon as my little spidey sense kicked in, um, it would have just been like, no, we got to, you just got to, you got to go. Uh, but if we're just talking about Mrs. Robinson, I mean, when she's not, I don't know I, if I have to, if I have to do a rating system out of 10, I'm going to go with maybe before she turns like sexual predator style, like pushing it on him and like yelling at him and basically forcing him to do things or just like manipulating him that, uh, you know what? I'll give it a six or a seven. But that's like before it turns dark and before he's like, I mean, very clearly this is inappropriate. Before they go upstairs. Is that basically yeah. around the line? Like yeah. When in the like sunroom and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When she's like, say, like when she's bossing him around and she's giving him a hard time about everything. I mean, even before that, she kind of acted like a bitch when she threw his keys in the, in the fish tank and she's like smoking it in his room. And it's like she just forces herself in his space and then forces like psychologically forces him to go with and he allows himself in some cases to just go along because he's trying to convince himself that he's imagining what he thinks this is or he doesn't want to give he doesn't want to like insult his dad's friend's wife and it's like i can understand if you're just put in a really awkward position and you're trying not to offend everybody but at some point man you got to just listen to your gut and get out of there and for him i think it was interesting to see it from a perspective of, a, of an older lady doing that to a younger man um because typically that's not the dynamic that we see in film or just that we hear about and i think that yeah, I know that's a very tangential answer to your question, but no. I think in the seduction factor, it starts out, maybe there's, you know, like there's some stuff there that seems to work and you're like, okay, that could be fun. But then it gets really dark really fast that you're like, <laughs> no, there's so many red flags, dude. Like, don't, don't do it, you know? And so, yeah, probably I'm going to go with a six. I'm just going to do, that's where I'm going to fall on that scale. <laughs> 
Okay, I like it. Six hearts. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> <laughs> There's potential, you, but it's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a similar answer to Will. I think up until he ate point blank asks, like, are you trying to seduce me, Mrs. Robinson? Like, I feel like, yeah, like her confidence and like the little like back and forth they have is sexy. Like I'd give that like an eight out of 10. And then as soon as he like figures it out, because you could see him up until that point, it's just being obtuse, right? As soon as he figures it out and is like, oh, hell no, I'm out of here. That's when it's like, oh, this is very uncomfortable now uh, and gets very rapey. Um, so just the part up until then, I'd give like maybe an eight out of 10. But um, I, hey, Mrs. Robinson knows what she wants. That's sexy. But um, after that, like zero. <laughs> <Yep>. Negative 10? <laughs> Maybe negative nice. <laughs> so ten black hearts or maybe ten skulls. I don't know. Like I'll have to see what kind of key art I can drum up. <laughs> Jailbait. Yep. Yeah, I you know I think it's interesting. Like um, there is a there's a lot of comedy um that comes from sort of like him being obtuse, mm-hmm. and then him being in denial. Like I feel like it's like dude like how do you not get this yet? Like when she's like, Oh, just help me out of my dress. Like, it's okay. You've seen some, it's like buddy, like buddy, <laughs> like you, you know, come on. And um, I think a lot of the comedy comes from that because you're just like yelling at him to like, just, just leave man. Like, just go if you're, if you're not down for this. Um, and it turns out to be lucky that he doesn't because like the husband comes home several hours earlier than she's predicting, which is like pretty much immediately after they get to the house. But um yeah, I think like there I love the the leg shot, you know, in the um the sunroom where like he's sort of like framed inside of like, you know, the bend in her leg that of course is like kind of repeated again in the hotel room which was used for the key or, or the uh, the film poster, but um I think they they do a lot to um really like at first make it seem sexy and then Yes, like I will get to Mrs. Robinson in a, in a second. I think like you're in, you're meant to be a little bit like uncomfortable and sort of disturbed by the manipulation of her, and, and you know, and willfulness really like to not take no for an answer, which uh, seems to be a theme for a lot of people <laughs> in this movie, um, Benjamin included. So yeah, um, so I like that you said predatory. So I read like a little blurb from Mike Nichols where he said that they specifically uh, have a lot of animal prints on Mrs. Robinson. Mm-hmm. And like in that. Yeah. Over here, if I could do like my directions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exhibit a slightly yeah. obscured. Yeah. And the whole decor and the way that they shoot like that first scene in the Robinson household, like there's a lot of like jungle plants, like they wanted it to yeah. feel like a jungle cat that was like stalking the prey, like even like the decor on the bar, which like I was like, what the fuck is all this like tiki jungle? I, I couldn't really get a sense of what exactly it was, but did they go as far as like having an actual cougar in any of the frames or no? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so, but um, maybe I have to go back and look. Um, and I meant to look up that that term after I came across that, but uh, I had a bit of a brain fart. So I'd be curious to see if like how long that term has been around and like why it was popularized but um will looks like he's doing some research (laughs) so i'm pretty much like in line with may like i i think it's like it's a solid like eight um while they're downstairs but like 
yeah, it becomes like uh, way, way, way too much once they go up. And he's clearly said, like, I'm not going to do this. Like, uh, and again, it's funny all the while. Like now, like what would Mr. Robinson say if he saw us here? It'd be a bit strange or whatever he says, like be kind of funny or I don't know. Like it always makes me like cackle because it's just like, dude, you know, like, you know exactly what she's up to. Like, just go. But. Uh, so speaking of Mrs. Robinson, I wanted to talk about her as a character because um, I actually have a lot of sympathy for Mrs. Robinson in a lot of ways. Like, I think there's one moment in particular that stands out to me um, where you get a nice bit of character development um, when they're in the hotel and Benjamin, like, insists on talking about something, like anything. He's just like, can we just talk for, like, time out? Um, so I wanted to ask what you thought of Mrs. Robinson as a character. I don't like the decisions that she makes and the manipulation, but I, I do feel bad. And I think I agree with you. I think that is actually a moment where we get to see like more of the real her beneath everything that she's buried after being so unhappy for such a very long time. And you do. You, you feel bad for what she's, you know, the life that she's led that she's just never been happy with i can't think of a better word really than that to say um that she there were probably goals that she had that she couldn't have because she had a child and got married and couldn't pursue her interest in art or maybe just felt like other things took priority and that just took a back seat and so i could understand wanting to try and reconnect to that age but just the way that you do it, man, it's like, it's just it's not the right way to do it. So I, I can understand in that respect, like feeling sorry for her and feeling like that is a very tragic issue. Um, and that for whatever reason, she feels like trying to hook up with a younger guy somehow helps her reconnect to that. But I don't, I don't think know. it does, though, because she's not interested yeah. in talking, though, is she like, no, I think she just wants a piece, man. She's like, yeah. I'm not 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 having uh any kind of like marital relations with my my husband like so like let me let me get a uh you know young man to fulfill my my needs right like and it seems like any attempts to connect emotionally she's just not interested in but like why why him though like (laughs) no offense like it's just his attitude and his demeanor i'm like you couldn't find somebody that was just a little. I mean, I know he's malleable. Maybe that's it. Maybe he's. It is. She. You can coerce him, but like, is he really good enough that? <laughs> no, like, no offense to whatever you know, like the performance issue on that, but it's like for him to be whimpering and to like not really know what he, you know, what's going on, and to act, you know, so sort of like that slightly comedic, but also like this is really awkward for him too. Like, I don't know. Like, could you look past it far enough to think that you got what you wanted from doing that? Or would there be somebody else who might be a little bit more agreeable to your advances that would still, that you could still manipulate if you wanted to. So that to me was the only thing that I thought was interesting where it was like, that's the guy you want to go with. (laughs) Like you think that's a good bet. Okay. You know, but yeah. This is just kind of a pet theory, but um, like on that note, I feel like part of it is her kind of getting revenge for being young and naive and kind of taken advantage of herself, you know, when she got pregnant and forced into marriage originally. I think that that's kind of part of part of her getting off here, basically, is that now she's in a position of power over this guy. Right. And Mm -hmm. like kind of holds all the cards. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's a very valid interpretation for the but, the age and sort of all the other factors. That yeah, as far as how I feel about her, like villains always have tragic backstories, right? Like I still see her very much as a villain, and um, she absolutely I. I think if we if we trust her story that she was basically forced into marriage because she got pregnant and that it's been a dead bedroom, separate bedrooms for ages, like sure she's justified, I think, in in, in looking somewhere else for her needs, but not in a predatory way. Yeah. I, I think, you know, she definitely crosses the line um in that first scene. He, Benjamin's very much receptive to it, and I think like more so uh <laughs> as as the film sort of progressive progresses until he's not, of course, um, when Elaine shows up. But um, yeah, like I definitely think she uh, like full um, stop, like harasses him <laughs> and that that uh, first sequence. But um, I, I'm i curious, like, do you guys interpret that as like he's more worried about like the consequences like of it um, or like like what's his hesitation, do you think? Is it just the shock factor of the married woman like that he's known his whole life? Like, what, like, what is the hesitation? Because obviously he recants pretty quickly. So, I mean, this, that is a good point. I always sort of wondered, like, what it was that made him change his mind after the fact. And I guess that would have to do with whatever his college experience was like, maybe. But um. I would think if if I were in his shoes, that it would be just the idea of how taboo that would be in the sense of the age difference. The fact he was like, he was still 20, like he was about to turn 21, but he was still 20. And the fact that, which I guess technically, what is it, 18 is the legal limit. But even if we're arguing that, like that's just, it just seems so weird. And then, um, oh, what was it after? It was... I think it was more so it's just like it's his his dad's partner's wife that's hitting on him like that's there's just there's they're too close in that we in that respect of like that of whatever they did together I can't remember what their their partnership was in the, like the sense of the, the work that they did but it was like I just you know you're too close to the family that's just weird and also this you're married like that's just no <laughs> so I think that was the initial shock and like the we shouldn't do this is like it's not should like you're married we can't do this but i don't know it's kind of interesting to see how he progresses like benjamin blossoms quite a bit like after you kind of get that um april come she will like montage of like passage mm-hmm. of time like he's much more confident and sort of like rebellious i guess like is maybe the word like towards how like, he interacts like he's so um submissive to her like like think about like the first night in the hotel like how awkward he is that shit kills me every time i watch it just with like how big of a deal he makes out of like every little thing going to the phone booth and everything and like kind of flash forward to like him insisting on them talking about art and like you know almost like leaving but she's like oh let me extend this like you know thousand mile leg out real quick and put on the 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 pantyhose and he's just like well maybe i'm not gonna leave um but I think it's interesting to see like how he sort of blossoms and um, almost kind of outgrows the relationship sort of kind of. And you see like by the time 
Elaine gets back um, into town and like is sort of like he's forced to, to go on the date. Um, he's a very different person in a lot of ways, you know, um, as far as like what needs she's fulfilling for him. Like, I have no, no idea, like other than a base need or maybe just like any, like anything to feel alive. Like they're in a very similar spot, like at the beginning, like she's like somebody who has been like, like her soul has been completely stamped out and it's just a little tiny smoldering ember of like what it was. And it's kind of a sad thing. You know, I love the discussion about art and like you know which which do you prefer and i don't want to talk about it and then just sort of that line where she's facing away and he's like you know um, what did you study it's like art you know it's just it's so sad um that being said i think some of the stuff that you see with mrs robinson in the latter part of the film particularly how she behaves towards Catherine and a lot of the other manipulation i think like there's it's very heavily hinted that she's probably a extremely manipulative strong-willed woman who's probably done some psychological damage to um probably both her husband and her daughter honestly but especially her daughter you get the impression that um that's probably not been an easy upbringing um something again for new things that i picked up is like when um elaine's going back to college um and mrs robinson's seeing them off elaine gets into the car and like she starts to kind of like walk towards the car as it's like pulling away but like you can tell elaine's being very cold like towards her after figuring out what happened with uh with benjamin um speaking of benjamin uh what do we think oh sorry you were gonna add something may i could see you (laughs) uh not to backtrack too much i was just gonna say that i i read like benjamin's kind of like switch in how he you know his first is like very much like nope nope this is not cool i'm not going to do this to actually scheduling the date with mrs robinson as less about him realizing he likes her and more about i don't think he ever is really into her but after that interaction with her you have a scene where his parents are infantilizing him again and i think it's more like this is how i prove that i'm a man basically kind of a thing and I don't yeah. think he was ever really into her. Other than like, just just because he like, well, I mean, it's a good point. She kind of comes after his prowess, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's what gets him to stay where, you know, she says like, oh, if you're inadequate in one way and he's like, hold on, like, whoa, whoa. Because yeah. <laughs> his parents uh, really infantilize him. And like, yeah. I, I feel like this is more of a coming of age thing for him than any kind of actual genuine attraction. Yeah. Unintended. Uh, <laughs> um yeah no it's a it's a great point um what about benjamin as a character like what do we think about him i told you like i i had a much darker reading of the film this time and the, the second half this time watching it where i was like damn i don't remember this being so creepy but it cl- clearly is um but he's an interesting character i think complicated in a lot of ways so we'll all start with you what did you think of benjamin braddock he takes the wrong lessons and becomes a stalker. <laughs> he he does the thing that he learned from Mrs. Robinson and does the same shit to her daughter. And yeah, yeah it's just it's like the gift that keeps on giving, right? You know, and and it's weird to watch it because you're like, you should learn, and you you have not learned. You have you have learned that you think this is how you should treat other people. And I think he made a comment too when he's hanging out with Elaine and they're at the at the drive-in for food. Something about how it's like he feels like he has to just be a jerk to other people. Like that's almost like 
either that's the design of it like you're supposed to be or it's just like you're just trying to figure out how to do whatever it is like he's just trying to figure like make it up as he goes along but he has this feeling like he has to be a jerk to other people and maybe that's part of it but yeah i was just really surprised that it went from like he was so just sort of dazed and confused about what he wanted to do with anything and then suddenly he latches onto this idea of i have to marry elaine and i have to follow her and prove that it like we should be together and then just stalks her and annoys her and yet she she also then doesn't do like what he didn't do which was stand firm about when it feels weird get out you know and she hesitated until we see like how it turns out at the very end uh, which i'm sure we'll talk about in a minute but i yeah it was just interesting on the one hand i felt sorry for him at the beginning and then I thought, no, you took the wrong lessons and you're making more mistakes because of what you did with Mrs. Robinson. So I don't think that he is. I don't think he's any better than she is. <laughs> I think he just he, he's doing the wrong stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with everything that you said, essentially. I think that there very much is sort of like an echo or reverberation of like the behaviors that he's experienced in the first half and sort of like mm -hmm. subjecting somebody else to that as well, which is weird. Like I, I suppose you could read, like I just saw it popped into my head. You could kind of read that as like, maybe that's why Elaine like relents a little or Elaine re, uh, relents a little bit and like falls for it is maybe she like is recognizing the behavior. It's something familiar, you know, <laughs> that like she's used to. Ooh, that's even uh, more creepy. You remind me of my mother. <laughs> oh, gosh. No. Ooh. Uh, May, how about you? Like, what do you think of Benjamin Braddock? Uh, I don't like him. Um, I feel bad for him. Again, also at the beginning, I think that... Um, He's just delusional probably by midway and when he starts obsessing over Elaine and like not that it's a cure-all but I think my man could use some therapy to yeah. <laughs> unpack why he's obsessed with her. Um, especially since it seems like aside from like that one date they haven't seen each other much since like high school. Like they don't even know each other very well. It's like anyway um yeah, the the stalking is just like super uncomfortable. Um, and like it sucks because I feel like she maybe kind of like already doesn't believe her mom because she does go to like confront him about like the alleged rape, and I feel like you wouldn't do that unless you were kind of questioning whether it had actually happened, right? Um, and. I just feel bad because she's kind of torn between like not being able to trust her mom and not being able to really trust this guy but they're the two major forces in her life and I feel like she feels like she kind of has to align with one of them poor Carl yeah <laughs> seemed like the smarter choice but I don't, I don't know. know if I feel bad for Carl because I agree with Chris's interpretation that I think that he got her pregnant and uh, had just been kind of sleeping around with a bunch of women and just was marrying her because it's the right thing to do yeah he seems like he's pretty well off smoking a pipe at the zoo and all that <laughs> it's the way he dresses and you know whatnot but yeah i am um, I, well so first of all i will say I, I find benjamin braddock to be like 
um super compelling like played to perfection by dustin hoffman like very very funny and awkward at times um just really really um interesting as a as a character like overall and i think like the performance has got everything to do with that i'm maybe someday i'll read the book i just i can't imagine it coming alive the same way that the film does i think everything from the soundtrack to the cinematography like trying to imagine this on the page like i can't quite get there where i'm like this would be something that i'd be engaged with i don't know i could be wrong on that but um i'll have to give it a shot but um yeah there is such a dark undertone like i always felt um like slightly like off kilter by the second half of the film but this time around in particular just like the lengths that he goes to to like follow her around and then like playing it off like it's been a big coincidence like it's a very long time before making his presence known um and just yeah creeped me the fuck out honestly and i i can't really understand like why he has put so much like into her being the solution to like his problems in the future right like i i don't really understand is it just because she's tied intrinsically to this affair that he had? Um, like I, I never really understood like why Elaine is is the the one that he's got to like put all this time and energy into to the point of being like you know unlawfully um close you know to her. But um, that being said, like I I do sympathize as I like you know said at the top of the show like with him at the beginning of the movie i think that's a very common feeling for people that are right out of college and like I, that has always struck a chord with me and uh yeah I, I, his parents do seem like a bit much the whole scuba diving scene is always very funny to me because it's like that would be embarrassing as shit like why would you do that to your your child you know um yeah i, I find what's that like push him under when he's trying to come yeah. out like no 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 keep going buddy <laughs> <laughs> he just sits mournfully at the bottom of the deep end just breathing yeah. um but yeah i don't know like i think him and uh elaine together like uh, i i've always kind of interpreted it as like a cautionary tale of like hey these people like think they're rebelling but they're actually kind of doing the same exact thing that their parents did just in a different like combination yeah you know she's like oh like it's too late like not for me and it's yeah, at first you're like yeah like and then when they're sitting there, like, I think that shot of them kind of alternating being like serious faced and smiling is like, well, what did we actually just do? Like, have we thought this through like at all? Like, what, what's the game plan here? And I've, I I think that like, it's a great final shot, like of a of film. I mean, I guess the final shot is technically the bus driving way, but like that shot on their face is really, really powerful because like um, they've constructed this idea in their minds of like what they want and and like they think they're rebelling against their parents and at, at the end of the day it's probably all been a very bad idea um so I, I think it probably resonated with people at the time too because it's like about a year before like vietnam like really ramped up but we were very much like sending people over there and like there probably was this tendency to want to you know rebel against the man a little bit and i think like you got to have a game plan and a reason and a purpose. And sometimes like just rebelling for the sake of rebellion is not always a good idea. Maybe that's like part of what the, the film's uh, trying to say. Yeah. That last shot it, you mentioned just very chilling. It's kind of what movie turn off the TV and just be like, well, that was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah it's not an annual rewatch for me for sure um but it is it's one that i like to watch like every few years because i think that it's a rich movie it's got a lot of interesting things to say and certainly it's very uh artful in the way that uh that tells the story and things unfold um anything you guys want to add for the graduate before we transition have a healthy sex life that is um based on consent consent's always first yes consensual (laughs) healthy sex life and you will have the confidence but also the respect that you need out of your partner (laughs) that's what i got from this film uh what will said (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think there's a single healthy relationship in this film that i can think of like not a friendship not a parent-child relationship like nothing Hell, the the uh, the building attendant's probably the most healthy person. Like, I don't like you. Get out of here. Like, you know, <laughs> you're up to no good. That's probably the healthiest guy of this whole thing. Well, sweet. Thank you guys for watching this. Uh, I said I, I know it's like conventionally maybe not enjoyable, but I hope you enjoyed experiencing the graduate. And uh, yeah, that's another one off the list. So before we find out what we're watching next week. Uh, we're going to take a little shot in the dark and May Finch has volunteered to to be <laughs> our contestant this week. So if you've not uh, seen this before on the show or as a reminder, if you have shot in the dark is where I will select a film that May has not seen and May will do her best to give me the plot of said movie. So May Finch. Yes. You tell me. What the hell Who Framed Roger Rabbit is all about? Oh, my God, yes. Well, <laughs> you see, <laughs> there's, there's this rabbit named Roger. So far, so uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's animated, I believe, um, and has been framed for a terrible crime. <laughs> <laughs> what crime what are we saying here <laughs> um murder is <laughs> <laughs> yep. framed for murder um and is being initially pursued later assisted by a sexy damsel in red and <laughs> can confirm yeah <laughs> You're so right, but also so wrong. <laughs> this is great. And it's an interesting film because it's a mix of animated and real world characters. Um, there's lots of hijinks. I'm sure there's a police car chase at some point. Uh, probably some Acme uh, props and hijinks. Uh, I'm sure that there's some TNT that goes off at some point. Um, and uh, by the end of the film, of course, our sexy damsel and Roger Rabbit fall in love. <laughs> Holy shit! You Can know we what? just watch this movie next time and talk about it? <laughs> well done. It, it may be in the list. It might be in the list. Um, you know, well done. Like you got, I would say, like you're you're probably about like sixty to seventy percent accurate with uh. Yeah. With your plot, like that's better um, than random. Yeah, no, like really, really, really good job. Um, I I will not correct anything. Like, um, 
because I don't want to ruin the, the film for you, obviously. Um, other than to say, like, it is essentially a film noir, like, yeah, film, like, with like all the tropes that come along with that. A lot of them turn on their heads. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, genuinely a film noir movie, like, which I love, like, even right down to the music and the time period. So maybe I'll well watch done. it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Do I own it. it. Do it. It's, it's I'll send you guys our reactions if I do. I promise. <laughs> yeah, you should. Should absolutely. Good cast. Bob Hoskins, uh, Kathleen Turner is the voice of Jessica Rabbit, I believe. Christopher Lloyd plays the oh, man. unforgettable Judge Doom. Like scared the shit out of me as, as a, a kid, child. Yeah. Like genuinely, yeah. like terrified me. Um. And there's some other good supporting cast too that I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, who's who plays his um Eddie Valiance, like um the woman that is like his sort of on again, off again. Like we haven't been on vacation in a while. Like oh man. Dolores, like who plays Dolores? Joanna, look Cassid- Joanna Cassidy was there Dolores. You go. Yes. Yeah. So sweet. Well, it awesome. is time for a new card. It'll be so funny if it's Superman Roger Rabbit. Oh please! Uh, I feel like please. I feel like I need to like hold up like a timer like that's going so I can show that I'm not cutting if that's what it was. But... <laughs> All right, <laughs> here we go. Hashtag plus if it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, it is a roll of a lifetime, and I have to like zoom in on this because Roger Rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Roger Rabbit. Um, all right. So let me look at my key. Hold, please. I think this is gonna be a May pick, but double check. Noise. It is a May pick. And it is uh very, very appropriate because it is a Margot Robbie and Itanya. Yeah. So oh, I I'm love so how excited. the stars align for this podcast. It's great. I've never seen this. I'll, I'll admit Marianne loves it, so I'm sure she'll be keen to watch it. Uh, it looked fucking fabulous. I just never got around to it. Uh, no, sorry. Oh, no, no. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was just going to ask Wolf if you've seen it, but go, go for it. Hmm. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> if it's me, then no. The answer is no. And May, what were you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> We've been off the pod for a few weeks. For like we're a, still yeah, it's been a month. Like, there's some rust for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, I picked this because uh, Margot Robbie is great in everything she's in, but the way she pulls off this biopic is just phenomenal, especially with like all of the unreliable kind of narration going on. Um, There's one scene in particular that you guys will know when you see it where just like her facial expression acting is so good and like it conveys so much. Um, Yeah, just I... I feel like having seen Barbie now without spoiling anything, I would still pick uh, I, Tonya as like her role of a lifetime. She was nominated, right, for an Academy Award, Golden Globe, all that stuff for this. I feel Probably. like I know it was, it was like very well um, liked and she specifically was, um, you know, lauded as having a good good performance. Well, I'm excited. I can't wait. I remember the story like it was just old enough like to to pick it up and i think it helped too that my mom was like really into figure skating like loved like going to like the events and like watching it on the olympics but i remember the story like um being talked about all over the place um so i'm very excited to see like 
how it all unfolds and watching her in particular, especially after seeing her and and Barbie. Um, and I guess was, uh, she was Harley Quinn before that, but not like all iterations of Harley Quinn, right? Like like before I Tanya, I think she, maybe she was in that bad Suicide Squad movie. But in yeah. any case, like <laughs> the bad, I'll one. see anything she's in. <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> oh, nice. She's great. Well. Thank you, Will. Thank you, May. Thank you, audience. Uh, we have been on a bit of a hiatus. Thanks for hanging with us. We are back full time. In just a couple short months, we'll be back to Scream Quest, which I just realized, yeah. which is, I'm looking forward to. Whoa. Always a good time. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll, of course, have some fun guests on and a whole new set of scary movies. Uh, you can find us on uh, X at... Screen Quest Pod, <laughs> maybe not for very much longer, but yeah. uh, I love it. more to I come love on it. that. In the meantime, please give us a like, share, and subscribe on whatever platform you enjoy. And we will uh, see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Make an 824 film, let's do a Mad Lib, give me a genre. Hard. Okay, and another? Indie drama. All right, give me a time period. 1700s. <clears throat> give me an animal we're going to make scary. Cow. All right, what's fucked up about the farm? It's haunted by ghosts. And the ending isn't so much an ending, but a... Metaphor. All right, in the next 824 film, the trailer's going to make it look like a nail-biting horror film, when in actuality, is a slow-paced indie drama about a 1700s farmer being haunted by the ghost of his wife. The ghost tells him if he kills all of his crops and the animals, it'll bring her back. He gets down to his last animal, which is a scary, deformed cow that looks at him, and he looks back, and then cries directly into camera until the credits roll the whole theater's gonna be like what the fuck just happened like was that the movie the acting and the cinematography were incredible but what was that ending a metaphor they're gonna go home and read an article explaining that the ghost was not his wife but a manifestation of his depression and grief and the cow was a reflection of himself and how much he's changed and then those people can pretend they knew that the whole time and look smart in front of their friends <laughs> we're gonna win an independent spirit award and make a somewhat decent amount of fucking money